Well, welcome to the uh, next installment of the Sly Podcast, Salt Light and Yeast Podcast. This is Stephen Ambrose and, and Matthew Kirkpatrick from Wapak Naz, right here in Wapakoneta, Ohio. And uh, we just want to say thank you so much for joining us uh, for the third time so far. This is a Sly Podcast that we, uh, there's nothing sly about it. This is off the cuff, uh, unscripted, um, probably a compilation of many conversations that we've had over the week uh, or the course of the several weeks. And and uh, um, so, and for you sports fans, I know you're missing sports right now. So this is the third episode. So it's our hat trick. So there you go, hockey fans. There's something for you to celebrate right now. Uh, hat trick in the ring. Throw your hats uh, in the air. Celebrate. Hoop holler. I want to hear you singing. <laughs> well, uh, uh, today. So just just kind of where we've been. We're probably about three weeks into this. Three and a half weeks into this uh, um, COVID crisis here in Ohio and also in our nation. Uh, our governor has really um, put the smackdown with the lockdown. Um, That's a good phrase, smackdown with the lockdown. Absolutely, I man. Know. DeWine is the man. Uh, has been putting it down. And, and uh, I mean, we, we've seen a lot of things ramp up uh, in cities such as San Francisco, uh, in New York, uh, New Orleans. Um, yeah, even controversy and issues in Vegas uh, with the homeless population. Uh, right here locally, um, as of I believe yesterday, we we have three in our county currently who have COVID, yeah. um, and uh, majority of the counties around us uh, are, are dealing with COVID. Um, you've had uh, personal mm-hmm. uh, fallout in your own family, mm-hmm. um, cousin of your father, cousin father, yep, yep, who's passed away yep. uh, from COVID, uh, had other complications. Um, I currently have a cousin of mine down in Miami um, who uh, is, is dealing with, with COVID. At least that's what he says he's dealing with. Yeah. Uh, he's not had been tested um, with it uh, personally. Um, I've not had to deal with it. However, uh, I have a, a family member by marriage who potentially has um, some issue. Um, but they... Which just goes to the point, the longer this prolongs, the more it permeates culture the more everybody comes to a closer realization of, of knowing somebody or even you yourself having had it or being exposed to it in some capacity. Yes. Uh, yes. It's, it's, it's permeating every aspect of culture. For, for a long time, I mean, here in Wapakoneta, we were, I think there's still a couple counties in our state that yes. don't have a confirmed case. There's actually um, several. Yeah. And, and we were one of those holdouts for a while. Um, ours yeah. was, was more recent, the, the first one of our three um, and so once that happened, you began to, to feel this sense of reality a little bit more, even with all the experts saying, you know, uh, just cause there's not a confirmed case, that's because we haven't tested, they're walking yeah. around, like all this kind of stuff, but still to see it, to experience it, to, to feel it, uh, it brings a reality to things. Um, and so it, it, we're wise to try to lean into that before we see it and, and build that empathy. And, and so, and, and even on. On the church level, what what the media is is uh, broadcasting and promoting are the arrest of a pastor um, in, Down in Florida, Tampa, yep. Yep. Um, for having services. Uh, I know of a church in Ohio, South uh, on 75, who uh, was a large church who who met this last week. We also have another pastor who's in Texas, um, who is said we're, we're going to continue to meet, vehement about this. And so really, uh, you and I have been really kind of talking a lot about um, the impact 
and how this this truly is a defining moment. Mm -hmm. um, this is going to be a defining moment um, for uh, this young generation, Generation Z. When we think of the 20th century, uh, 1941 uh, was a defining moment for uh, the United States, even prior to that, yeah. um, stepping into World War I um, and coming out of that, the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl uh, therein was a defining moment for a generation. Then 41 was a defining moment uh, of a generation. And coming out of that war, uh, we have the Cold War that really marked um, a lot of uh, uh, a generation in the 50s into mm -hmm. the 60s. Then we have John F. Kennedy, um, assassination, yep. Martin Luther King, yep. Robert Kennedy, that assassination, Kent State that occurred in, 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 in uh, mid-70s and getting out of Vietnam War. And then, um, you know, for you um, and even myself, uh, I'm a Generation X. Uh, I was born in 77, but you were... Um, proud millennial. A proud millennial. Wave that flag. Born in... 1990. 1990. So 2001 was a defining moment yeah. for you and your generation. Yeah. And so this is this is a defining moment. And and I, you know, um, a quote that has really stuck with me for a very long time, probably at least 15, 20 years now, is um, is Martin Luther King's quote where he says, "The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in uh, comfort." Uh, in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands in times of challenge and controversy. Yeah. Um, and uh, this is a defining moment. And, and even back in, in 2000, I, I've had several defining moments in my life. Um, you know, however I, however small it may have played in, in my life, it was still a defining moment of uh, when the Challenger yeah. exploded. Yeah. Um, but also personally, I, I've had, I've had, some familial moments in my life that were defining. In 2003, I had probably the most defining moment in my life where my, my family uh, fell apart. And I remember the, the youth pastor that I was working under at the time. I was not employed. I was a youth leader, volunteer. And uh, he pulled me aside um, after kind of the shrapnel exploded and, and, and hit and had fallout. And one of the things he said to me was that in moments of crisis, the heart is revealed. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not quote-unquote from him, but essentially our heart truly does come to light in moments of crisis. And uh, those, those moments of crisis can be, they are defining moments. Now, whether or not they become shining moments yeah. or moments of regret uh, or full of fear and anxiety, that, that, that is still to be determined in a lot of people. Um, currently, uh, Las Vegas, uh, the city, um, how they have handled their homeless population over the past decades is coming to light. Yeah. And their heart is being revealed. Yeah. Um, the leadership of of several um, governors and who they truly are in times of crisis is being revealed. Um, our, the, the leadership of our government is being revealed. Truth comes to light. Your heart is revealed 
in crisis. And so um, I really want us to talk a little bit about defining moments, um, however long this will take. Yeah. Um, defining moments, and, and there are a lot of defining moments in Scripture. Absolutely. Uh, Moses had a defining moment. Abraham had a defining moment. Um, David, uh, in, in the time, David and the, the nation of Israel had a defining moment where they were, Goliath was standing yeah. and touting for 40 days and, four, and 40 nights. Um, Jonah had several defining moments in just a short time span. Um, Peter, and, and that's really what I, who I, I want us to focus on a little bit. Peter had a defining moment. And it wasn't the moment that he was called. Um, although, although it did define him in some way. Although it did define him. So, so there's this 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 progressive element to defining moments too. The way we're defined in, in moments uh, can be can be corporate, can be individual, yeah. can be magnified in in what it's calling us to respond to, mm -hmm. um, and it can just be uh, internal in some regard. Like there there are moments that define us that. Um, that shape us in a way on the inside yeah. that isn't necessarily always realized outside. Correct. Uh, I, I know that's that's a weird like mental conversation now that I'm just throwing in your head, but you have an opportunity to restate that if you'd like. Well, well, <laughs> well, just to say like that there are moments that we experience personally. Yeah. That. Uh, Everybody who sees us on a day-in and day-out basis has no idea that we've been defined by this moment. Correct. Um, that, that this moment has marked us in a way, it hit home in a way that was more significant than we realized. Uh, so, so to use uh, a, a, a big example for you, uh, everybody in America was defined by 9-11. Everybody was defined by 9-11. And even capacity. the world. And, and even the world in some, in some regard. But for those who experienced it Living in New York City, there was a different level of definition. The depth of that moment. And, and for those who experienced it living in, uh, you know, some rural town in Nebraska, probably had a different experience than those living in New York City. But if their father was a firefighter, yeah. or their mother, or whomever, was a first responder of some capacity, they've got some kind of tie-in and connection to this that makes it more significant than it would be for others, perhaps. True. Um, so that's what I mean, is, is that we don't get to decide how things define us or, 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 or to, to what magnitude they define us. We decide how we respond to that defining moment, yes. but we don't get to decide whether or not this is going to define us and, and permeate our souls at a deep level. Um, we just determine how we deal with what is being done inside of us. Does that make sense? I don't get to decide whether or not I, I see a story. So here, here's an example. When I became a father, I was shocked by how quickly I was to cry at watching a movie where a child was hurt. Because I never cried in a movie where a child was hurt before. Even, even an insignificant or, or, or uh, minor injury now makes me fall and bawl and, and cry because all of a sudden I've, I've realized something about myself that I'm seeing myself in my role as a father. And I'm seeing that child as my child in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so I don't get to choose whether or not that scene is going to impact me. It's going to impact me whether I want it to or not. But I choose how I respond to that scene mm -hmm. and what I do with it. 
and I can do something like you said, I can make it shine and be a moment that that shines in the definition and allows me to be better. Or I can try to ignore it, sweep it under the rug, act like it doesn't affect me and be crippled by it. So there, there's a defining moment for Peter, um, well after um, his initial call, and I identify with Peter a lot, but well after his initial call, and this is after Jesus' crucifixion um, and death and burial, and this is, this is after his resurrection, and in fact, after even Peter has seen Jesus in his resurrected form, um, Peter, as well as several others, go out uh, fishing. And, and Peter, by trade, um, was a fisherman prior to following Jesus. So this is significant for Peter because this is somewhat of his old life. This is his old way. He reverts back to what is comfortable to, for him. He reverts back to his security. Uh, he reverts back to his his form of livelihood. Um, and, and, and really, this moment in John chapter 21 looks a lot similar to his moment where he called, he was called by Christ in Luke chapter 5. If you look at those, both of those moments, they look very, very similar. Yeah. There's a lot of, of moments, uh, a lot of similarities in the situation. For instance, um, they had been fishing all night long, both, both cases, and caught nothing, right? So Peter goes and he's fishing, and uh, along with, with John, along with Nathaniel, along with Thomas, um, and, and several others, um, and it's it's on the back end of this where Peter and the rest of the crew do realize and recognize that this is Jesus, their Lord, and this is the third appearance according to John. And what's really interesting is the conversation that that Jesus has with Peter privately. It's somewhat privately. Because uh, John is kind of like being nosy. He's he's kind of there. He's the like... <laughs> ch he's the churchgoer that's really really nosy and wants to get his nose into everything. Um, but there's the conversation, and and Jesus asks him, "Do you love me?" Um, three times, and and yes, you know that I love you, and feed my sheep. And then um, Jesus said to him, and I'm going to read from, from the, the verse here, twenty one, chapter 21, verse 19, and, and just a little further. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then Jesus said to him, follow me. Reminiscent of Luke chapter uh, Luke chapter 5. Yeah, Peter, the, first, the first time. The first time. Peter turned and saw the, the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. That would be John. We understand that to be John. This was the one who... who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? So John was kind of clarifying, hey, it's me that, that I was, that was following. And the Lord, uh, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Peter's deflecting here. Jesus said, follow me. This is a time of crisis. This is going to be a defining moment for you. Jesus said, follow me. And Peter deflects and said, what about him? Uh, yeah, Jesus, this, this is defining for him too, right? This is defining for John too, right? Yeah. And Jesus said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And then this is a, a moment for Peter where, as we see in the book of Acts, which literally is, is less than 40 days from this moment. Uh, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2 is less than 40 days from this time. Um, something switched in Peter. 
Um, part of it is, is seeing Jesus' ascension. Um, part of it is the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Um, but I think this is a defining moment for Peter. And this is a crisis for Peter because Peter um, is still trying to wrap his head around things, um, trying to compute, calculate, understand, um, reeling from Jesus' death and being all in for Jesus, and then Jesus dying on the cross, and then rising from the dead, and he still hasn't comprehended it all. And I think for us, we, we, we're we still trying to comprehend everything. And a lot of people saying, well, welcome to the new normal. Quite frankly, there is no new normal yet. This is, this is a situation that we're living in that is in flux. And honestly, I don't think there's going to be a new normal for well over six months to a year. However, we are currently standing and living in a defining moment. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that time frame is is different here again, depending on where you're at in this defining moment. Yeah. You know, what level of, of impact, what level of, of um, life-altering moments occurred mm-hmm. throughout the course of it. Um, because we, when you talk about mental health and we talk about well-being, uh, we have this drive to be normal, to come to a place of normal, to... to safety and security. Safety and security, right? right? Uh, but the more we struggle to find normal and safety and security, the more it, it seems to be elusive. Well, safe, and quite frankly, from a Christian perspective, honestly, I think safety and security is an illusion. Absolutely. Because there is nothing safe. There is nothing safe in following Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like, it is a dangerous call. And for anybody to say, well, now that I have Jesus, I'm all good. Um, they haven't read the scriptures, and they, they don't know the true story of the Gospels, and they don't know the true story of the early church. So safety and security, quite frankly, is an illusion. At, well, yeah. I mean, at, at best, it's an illusion. Uh, but for many right now, as you said, it's it, elusive. It, it's elusive. We can't obtain it. So... I guess, you know, because you were mentioning safety and security earlier today. And um, for those of us that are trying to grasp a hold of safety and security, what that looked like two weeks ago was a store full of people trying to get bread, milk, eggs, whatever they could, non-perishables, toilet paper, standing in long, long lines. And that was their grasp at safety and security. For me today, like I, I mentioned this to you earlier it's today. your carafe of coffee in the corner. My carafe of coffee <laughs> in the corner. No, it was, I, you know, when, when there's crisis, um, I, I do my best to step into it. But once the crisis has kind of like the dust is somewhat settling, but we're still in crisis, then I try to clean. Yeah. I try to organize. So I organized a little bit of my office over the course of the last week. I did a lot of work yesterday, just um, praying and and thinking through and listening to sermons while doing it. But then it helped me kind of order my mind and get a little clarity um, so that I can continue to hash out this crisis. So that was, that was a form of trying to grasp a little bit of control. 
um, in my life. Um, but in that, I, I had some clarity and I actually had some, some good ideas that came out of that moment. But, um, and we need those moments of, we do. of grounding, of, of some sense of control, uh, you know, grounding techniques when, when somebody has an anxiety attack, attack, they say to think of three things that you can control. Um, see th three things in your room and, and call it out. Just, you know, a book, a uh, lamp, uh, and then like do three exercises, like touch your, your fingers or like touch your knees. Like yeah. th these grounding moments where we realize I'm still here. I, my mind is not gone. I, I'm in this moment and there are things that are not completely out of control, yeah. right? We do, we do need that sense, but this, this construct, and, and, and this is a soapbox for me, but this construct that uh, life is a safe life in general is, is also a lie. It is. Uh, we are not safe. Everything we do in society is to mitigate risk of danger. The fact that we live in homes doesn't make us safe. It means we minimize the risk of storms. Stay home, stay safe. Hurting us, right? Yeah. It, it means we minimize the risk that uh, we'll get sick from torrential downpour because we've got a, sh a roof over our head. Um, it means we'll minimize the risk of, you know, when when uh, we were living on the frontier, it means we minimize the risk of animals, wild animals coming in and attacking us. Like, that's why we built homes, to, to have this sense of security. But it didn't mean nothing could ever happen. We see it all the time. Storms do come still and tear apart homes. Yeah. Just because you're in a home doesn't mean you're safe. And I don't mean this to alarm people no. or freak people out. Um, and it doesn't mean either that you don't do things that help mitigate those. Just Correct. because we can't ever Correct. be completely safe, safe doesn't mean we don't wash our hands still yeah. to stop the spread of a virus and illness. Not just this one, but all sicknesses. I mean, that's the, that's the CDC thing for pretty much every viral sickness there is. Wash your hands wash your because hands. that's one of the biggest ways we pass those germs. Um, but safety, when we when we move towards safety, and safety is our goal, safety is is the point of achievement for us. Once I can feel safe financially, physically, emotionally, whatever it is, whatever it is we're trying to gasp or grasp for safety, that is the same place that fear strikes hardest and and cripples us. And so, f yes. Um, and when we talked about generations, so y y you were talking about how this is going to be a defining moment for Generation Z and even even the younger generation, millennial, um, right? Yeah. Uh, and and those those students that are in grade school and, and middle school and high school and 20 years from now, they're going to remember 2020 and the school year, the school year ended in March. Yeah. Um, this is this is going to be a defining moment, and and all of our generations, all the way to baby boomers and to the greatest generation, they not only had defining moments, but also they lived under the shadow of fear. Yeah. You know, the Cuban Missile Crisis in '62 was immense fear. I mean, we were close to world-ending moments. Yeah. Um, in in that time, and there was immense. Fear. However, um, to grab and grasp at safety and security means you're trying to control fear. Yeah. You're really trying to control fear. Um, Peter tried to grasp safety and security, as well as some of his, his 
confidants and companions. They tried to go back to what they knew and understood. They reverted into that rut. Yep. This is what I know. This is how I manage. This is how I deal. And I'm going to go and continue in this pattern of behavior. But Christ was trying to call him out of that pattern of behavior. Christ was trying to call him out of safety and security. Christ was trying to help him recognize that you are not called to have that spirit of fear. You were called with a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. You were called to new life. You were called to rejuvenation. You were called to do greater things than what you have been doing. And I'm calling you out of that. So defining moments have a way of, of putting us on the hot seat. Yeah. And... Well, because for Peter, it would have been a defining moment, even if he chose to stay in the boat and keep fishing. Yes. That would have still been a defining moment for his life. If he chose not to follow Jesus and, and, and face his fear, then that fear would have continued to be the thing that defined guided him. him yeah. Defined him. It, it's going to define you one way or the other. So, so you, have a cho- you have a choice. You can't control what it's going to, whether or not you're going to be defined by this, but you have a choice how you are going to respond to that definition. Correct. Uh, last night, uh, I put out a message for our teens, um, and I talked about fire. Um, I, I talked about uh, forest fires, especially. And so I remember being a four-year-old kid and going to the Smokey the Bear Museum. <laughs> and I remember that defining, awesome. defining fires for me in a way <laughs> that I didn't anticipate or expect. You know, the whole, only you can prevent forest fires. That's the mantra of Smokey the Bear. That's his whole story. Um, but then I remember later in life, and this is, I'm giving away my whole, my whole thing, I guess, for the teens. But later in life, I remember hearing about uh, conservationists and, and forest management teams doing these things called controlled burns, yep. where they intentionally start forest fires so as to minimize the impact of forest fires, right? That seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? But what they do is they burn up all the excess, all the dead trees, all the, let's be honest, litter and other stuff in there that would burn really quick if a forest fire were to start unintentionally. And because they've they've removed the excess, they now can suppress a unintentional forest fire because it's spreading at a slower rate. They have a better opportunity to to mitigate that and minimize that risk. But the fire is going to come one way or another. Now, and what's really interesting, see, I didn't get, I I hadn't watched your your thing, but... I don't know if you got into this, but what's really interesting is those controlled fires um, do mitigate the risk of, of fire, forest Correct. fires Correct. that are wreak havoc. I mean, we saw that in Gatlinburg several years ago. However, those controlled burns also, they not only mitigate the risk, but they also provide opportunity for new life to flourish yep. on the ground floor, Yep. which is so necessary and vital. Uh, my wife and I go to the Smokies at least once a year, and we love we love to hike. Um, in fact, we're we're hoping we're able to take that that trip this 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 summer to the AT um, and hike the AT. But it, it's really interesting when you're hiking in May and in June, and you see how the the ground floor is bursting with new life. Um, as you're walking on trail, and those four, those controlled burns enable for those things to happen. Yep. 
And so right now... The, the, the fire is no less deadly from the one or the other. Correct. It's a matter of what's being done with the fire. So for a personal level, um, for, you know, we, we have we have nurses and doctors that are literally at ground zero. Hospitals are ground zero for this. Mm -hmm. um, nursing homes are ground zero for this. Um, oh, and even, even EMS. EMS, and, uh, ground yeah, zero. absolutely yeah. going there. EMS and, and police departments, uh, fire departments, they're ground zero for COVID and this crisis. Um, but we also need to understand that we personally are ground zero as well. Yeah. Um, it, we said on the front end of this that at some point, you were going to be completely impacted by COVID, by the actual virus, um, by a family member or a friend, somebody's either going to be diagnosed with or somebody you know is going to pass away from. Uh, and we're not just talking celebrities that no. are famous people. We're talking you know this person. You've spent time with them. That kind of level of contact and intimacy. So really the question is whether or not or not whether or not there's going to be a defining moment. It's how are you going to define this moment yeah. personally? Um, some scriptures that came to mind as, as I was thinking about this, this is that, okay, Psalm 146, I'll, I'll give two. Psalm 146, um, the psalmist writes, don't, uh, verse three, don't put your trust in princes, um, in mortal men who cannot save. Um, where the spirit departs, they return to the ground. Um, but then I follow that up with Psalm 20, um, 20 verse 7, uh, where it says this. Um, <clears throat> well, I'll, I'll read in verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven uh, with the saving power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. And this is David writing this. He's a warrior. Uh, he was a valiant fighter. Um, he, he was a he knew, mighty warrior. He knew the value of he chariots, knew the and value of chariots <laughs> and horses. He said, some trust in chariots and, and some in horses. Uh, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Um, you know, granted, um, you know, there is some some level of trust that we have to have in, in, in our, our local, our regional, our state, and our federal government um, in the scientists that are coming on every day dr acton from ohio um, and coming on daily talking about uh, the science behind this and and uh, the need for supplies ppe and and in fact vaccinations and what medications could possibly work i mean we do have some level of trust in in people but when it comes down to brass tacks when it comes down to the private moment, like Peter, the question is whether or not you're going to trust. You're going to trust in men, in people, and even yourself. Yeah. I think Peter had a level of trust in his own self in that moment. He was trusting on. He trusted what he knew. Yeah, I can do this. I, I can I'm do a, this. I'm a do-it-myself kind of guy. I've and, done this before. I can do it again. And Jesus was constantly pulling those disciples away from that mentality. I mean, even in the moment where... Um, I think I referenced this in one of our one-to-ones that we've been putting on Facebook Live, how uh, the moment where uh, it was right after the feeding of the 5,000. Um, and Jesus dismissed the crowd and told his disciples to get in the boat. 
And we know of four of those, those men were fishermen who lived on that Sea of Galilee. Yeah. But even after hours and hours and hours and hours of rowing, doing what they knew how to do, they only got, a, they were still a considerable distance from shore. They didn't get anywhere. They were in excruciating, literally excruciating pain. They were straining at the oars. And then Jesus comes and walks on the same waters that they were fearful of. Yeah. Um, Jesus is constantly pulling us from what we know, from what we trust. Um, key scripture that has been, it's played very significant role in my life from almost from day one as a believer and follower of Christ is uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Um, I mean, so significant on a mission, my first mission trip to Charleston, South Carolina, uh, a buddy of mine and I were on the roof and we, we, we wrote this on the roof, graffitied, it. graffitied the scripture <laughs> on uh, Annabelle's house that we were painting uh, where nobody could see it. But it was trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't rely on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make straight your path. Um, God gives us common sense and gives us wisdom and understanding. Um, yeah, we're supposed to use those. But when it comes down to it, our reliance is not on chariots or horses. Um, but it's in the name of the Lord. It's in the Lord himself. Um, how How is this... You know, I, I would rather understand, come to conclusions and growth in the moment, in the storm, in the crisis, uh, rather than wait on the other side of it and look back and go, what did I learn? So for you, yeah. Matthew, um, wife, two kids, you have the potential being called up at any moment from the National Guard. You're a youth pastor. Your wife, your wife's uh, position She's been laid off. Um, what have you learned about you? Um, and what have you learned about the Lord? And in this time, and how have you defined this to where it's a shining moment for you personally? Not necessarily professionally. I'm not looking for churchy stuff here, but personally. So if, if you're interpreting that question, this is like when the pastor says, we're, we're about done with the sermon. Uh, just a couple more minutes here, and we'll go for another 30, 40 minutes. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, well, first, yeah. You know. I know I put you I, on the hot speed. No, hot no, no. Here, I, but... I mean, there, there's so much going on, and, yeah. and, and there's so much um, defining that is happening. I, and I think probably the first place to go and answering that question in kind of a, a sequential manner is the significance and the importance of a good foundation yeah. in, in everything. So we, we just talked about not relying on yourself, yeah. um, but at the same time, God does call us to build a foundation, right? Oh, to, absolutely. To, to establish <clears throat> something that we can stand on. Uh, and so a foundation of my faith, a foundation of my trust in God already 
Um, I, I don't remember if I shared it on this or if I was we were just talking one day, um, but I I, sh I shared at one point with you at least um, about oh I remember where it was it was at my my licensing interview my district licensing interview um, yikes yeah uh, and I shared in front this front of piece. the Sanhedrin yeah well they asked me they said <laughs> all know, due respect there <laughs> they said how do you uh, what do you believe uh, what's your biblical stance and what's your understanding and approach to tithing. Um, and I said, well, you know, it's something that we're called to do. And yeah. and so I kind of I kind of relayed that and I, I shared a story. And I said, one of the things that influenced me when I was interning, um, this is back in 2011, um, interning as a youth minister um, at a church. And uh, the youth pastor there pulled out a book for me one day. And, and we were we'd been talking about finances and money. And, and like a lot of people my age, I hadn't learned or appreciated what tithing meant. How old um, were you at this time? Oh, I would have been 21. Okay. Um, I, I and, and I grew up in the church, You're but still a fetus. I, I grew up in the church, and I saw tithes happen every single week, mm -hmm. but it wasn't something that was ingrained in my life in any way. And so the we had been talking about it, and the youth pastor pulled out this book, and it was just a little notebook. It wasn't a big book, like the size of those dollar ones you can buy at Walmart in the in the uh, journal section. Yeah. And inside this book, he said, "I don't journal anything." other than just my financial stuff in this book. Everything in this book is just my financial questions and fears for the Lord. And then I record the ways he's answered. Oh, wow. Um, and that, yeah. like, transformed my whole understanding about finances. Yeah. Because that's a fear of mine, is, is, is being somebody who neglects my finances and doesn't manage them in a, in a good way, yeah. or then relies on somebody else to help support me financially. Um, I've been in those places where I have needed help from other people and I hated every second of it. Um, and so that's always a fear of mine is, is if I do things that will allow me to get to that place, how do I keep that from happening? And so the first place is, well, I, I can just not give to the Lord because what's he going to do? Yeah. Right? Is, how is he going to be mad at me? He's not going to come knocking on my door and shut off my electricity, right? So that's the first place you go. And so this book, uh, not to get too long-winded here, but this book. Well, you are a pastor. I, exactly. This 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 notes of how has the Lord, wh where have you said I need to see the Lord, and then where has He showed up, yeah, uh, and recording it because we forget so quickly, the places that God has been faithful, hmm. we forget so suddenly the places that He has come through time and time again, and, and we we neglect to give praise and thanks to Him for that. As a result, and so there's a whole nother conversation here too about the faithfulness of God, but that foundation piece, building yeah. a foundation where we can trust in God because we've seen that we can trust in God, we've put our trust in Him before, and so now we can do it again because we've built on that yeah. that trust. Aspect. Andy Stanley says time erodes the awareness of dot dot dot. Yeah. Over time, we very quickly forget what the Lord has done in our life. Um, and that, that's where, you know, writing it down is really helpful. And actually I mentioned, I mentioned in my last one-to-one -one is that, you know, we need to become more self-aware. Uh, we need to be aware of our emotions right now. Mental health is, is going to be, is it, is an issue at ground zero, but it's an issue, it's an issue for a five-year-old. Yeah. Um, it, it's going to be an issue for, um, a lot of people on the back end of this. And it's an issue now, um, but we're going to need a lot of folks um, who will step up in the mental health um, realm 
uh, for those people dealing with anxiety. But um, being self-aware and being aware of ourself and our emotions and identifying those, but also we need to be aware of what God's doing and how he's answered. Um, you're and, right. And so you might be listening and saying, well, this stinks for me because I don't have a foundation with God. I've never <laughs> built one. And, and the truth is the only bad time to start building a foundation with God is tomorrow. Start it today. Yeah. Uh, you're not behind the ball. Uh, now you can begin to build that foundation. But yeah. I, I'm thankful that I have a foundation that I can lean on and trust on. But if you haven't built a foundation to this point, now's the chance to write, start writing things down. Yeah. This is where I need the Lord to show up. Yeah. This is what I'm fearful of. These are the anxieties that I have based on the things that are going on around me. These are the, the things that uh, I, I don't know how to deal with. Write them down. And, and pray about mm. them too. Don't just write them down. Pray about them. Uh, have a conversation. Have a conversation with God, um, with with others that yeah. you trust. Say, hey, will you pray for me about this? Mm -hmm. um, and watch what the Lord does. I, I can't determine where he's going to answer, how he's going to answer in every circumstance, in every way. Um, mm. We can't control that. But if you if you haven't listened to our last episode, our where last episode, God? where is God? Um, and that really deals with this question. Um, and, and we don't, as spoiler alert, we don't really come to an answer completely, <laughs> Surprise! Uh, but, but it is an, an answer of, yeah. of fear and trust in God and struggling with that, um, in the midst of uncertainty, but watch God in the midst of your questions and, and do something that allows you to remember it mm -hmm. because we will forget, we will forget what April 2nd, I had to look at my watch just now to figure out what day it was. We will forget yeah. forget what April second at twelve fifteen looked like. Yeah. In three weeks from now. Oh yeah. Memory of goldfish. We'll forget it, and so yeah. record it, write it, tell the story. That's yeah. why we're so fortunate to have the scriptures that we have. Yeah. Uh, and so, so that's the next place I'd go. And I know we're getting close to probably trying to wrap up, but you know, the things I'm learning is is how valuable uh, the scripture is, because it tells that story. It tells the story of God's faithfulness to the world, not just to his people. We, we talk about the people of God, uh, the children of Israel, throughout the whole Old Testament. And then we kind of we parlay it into Jesus and the disciples in the New Testament. And then we get a little bit of that, that Christian church action there towards the latter half of the New Testament. But the story of Scripture is a story of God's faithfulness to the world, to his people which are into himself and to himself right? because he created it. He cares about us because he created us. Yeah. Um, and so God and his faithfulness is something. When we look at scripture, we see it play out time and time again, that God is faithful because it's who God is. Mm -hmm. And I guess maybe this is a little tangential or but God created us and designed us in such a way um, to develop the muscle of resilience, yeah. which honestly could be a whole whole other podcast. Um, but we neurologically um, and physically are designed in such a way that we can develop the muscle of resilience and really when we talk about defining moments, we can we can cower in the corner. So, 
for instance, you and I have talked, and I said on the front end of this, churches, one of three things will happen for churches. There will be churches that survive, that will survive out of this. Come out with a limp, but they'll be alive. Yeah, they will come out with a limp, but they, they will be alive. So they'll survive. There will be churches that die. Um, quite frankly, that's an unfortunate uh, byproduct as a result of, of everything going on. There will be churches that will eventually, at one point in time, as a result of this crisis, will die. Yep. Um, but there will also be churches that thrive. There will be churches that not only just not just get by and not just survive, they will thrive. They will come out of this on the other side of this. And the reason those churches will thrive isn't because of the pastor no. or their capacity to lead. Absolutely. It's because of the people. Because of the people trusting in the Lord, number one. And then two, the people understanding that they've been commissioned to go on mission in their neighborhoods and in their families and in their workplaces. That they were called to greater. They were called to more. And that in this time that they are seeking after the Lord, they're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and they are active, they are being active in their compassion, they are living it out, that they are doing a lot of the footwork right now, they're, a lot, they're doing a lot of the knee work in prayer, they're, they're reaching out, and they're saying, you know what, we're, we're going to move forward. So quite frankly, um, that can happen on a personal level yeah. as well. We can either survive and merely exist out of this and be tossed about from the waves of the newsreel. Newsreel, that's like 1942, yeah, wow. right? Jeez. <laughs> uh, from the waves of the news or everything that's posted on Facebook or social media. There, you go. Now you're hip. there we go. I'm a little hip now. I'm a hipster. Uh, I got my carafe of coffee. Um, but you, you determine that. So kind of want to read a, the last scripture. Um, comes out of Psalm chapter 1. Um, and it says, verse 1, Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman, blessed is the teenager, blessed is the kid uh, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But this is where I want us to focus. But his or her delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he or she meditates day and night. We root ourselves, right? And this is the result. He or she is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season when things are in comfort and convenience, as Martin Luther said. And whose leaf does not wither in times of challenge and controversy. Yeah. Whatever he or she does prospers. This is so significant that Isaiah, uh, or Jeremiah, I'm sorry, the prophet quotes it in Jeremiah chapter 17. Mm-hmm. And this tree that the psalmist is talking about is not an apple tree in a nice green orchard. No, this is a tree that is planted 
in the desert at the foot of a wadi that for the most part doesn't get any water that does prosper especially in times of drought we are in time of drought and crisis but we are to prosper as the body we are to prosper as believers in Christ we are to prosper as the church because we're rooted and I'm not talking financially prospering this is not prosperity gospel yeah no this is more of our heart this is our mind love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your mind with all of your strength with your whole self like the hokey pokey you put your whole self in and then love your neighbor as yourself um, so man how are you going to define this for you that's the big question today yeah this is a defining moment for our nation for our state um, for our world globally but this is also a defining moment for us and are we going to come out of this moment shining or are we going to come out of this moment dull and tarnished full of regret wishing man I wish I would have when I had that time and that moment folks we love you um, wherever you are uh, actually we have listeners in Czech Czechoslovakia apparently Czech Republic the Czech Republic yeah. that's crazy um, weird uh, we love you uh, we don't know you we love you it's just weird we're in Wapakoneta Ohio how in the world I don't know they need something to fall asleep <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> apparently, but uh, we, folks, we love you. Um, we're in this with you. We are for you. Our God is for you. Uh, whether you believe in him or not, he believes in you. Um, we, we thank you for this opportunity to come into your your earbuds or your, your car. or um, And uh, we are praying for you. Our Lord loves you very, very much. Um, and uh, we just, we really want and desire for you to have a life-changing experience with him but we also uh, want you to elevate your community we, we desire you to do good in your hood and bless and bring joy uh, to your community so um, find find an opportunity in your community to do good we love you uh, have a great day bye bye, -bye.